0: How many of you like surprises? You're a surprise person. You think, oh, I just love when people, you know, show up and jump out of closets or I don't know. <clears throat> and some of you are not surprised. You're like, I just want to know everything that's coming. Don't ever, don't ever surprise me with anything. I'll punch you. Like that's, so th- there's, a, there's a spectrum, but there's a lot of people. You're on one side or the other, right? Uh, my test for knowing if you're a surprise person or not is uh, how often do you check the weather? I think that's a, a good test. If you don't like surprises, you probably check the weather a lot. You have an app on your phone. My wife checks it multiple times a day. I'm like, it hasn't changed in the last half hour. But she just doesn't want to go outside and be surprised by the weather. Um, I like surprises, and I never check the weather. I think it's a, there's a correlation. I'm, I'm happy just going outside and being shocked that it's 42 and rainy on Saturday of our egg drop, you know? Uh, so I, I don't know if you're, if you're a surprise person or not, but there, there are good surprises and there are bad surprises, right? Some of you that are not surprise people, it's because you had a bad surprise once. And you're like, I never want to do that again. Don't ever, don't ever put me in that situation. My wife is not a surprise person. And knowing this, I planned a surprise party for her 40th birthday uh, last year. I'm supposed to say it's five years in the future, um, her 40th, but it's, it was uh, last year, uh, for those of you that are not keeping score. So I know she doesn't like surprises, so um, I did this anyway. So what we did was her parents uh, came down with their boat. <laughs> And uh, I said, we're, we're just going to go out with your parents on the lake and just have a nice, nice evening on the lake. So we, we did that. What she didn't know was there were two other boats that were going to meet us out there on the lake that had friends and her two sisters were in one of those boats. And so we surprised her with friends and family out on the lake, just had a great time. And I think we got a picture of... She's smiling. She's actually smiling in the picture, uh, which means that this was a good surprise. Even though she doesn't like surprises, this was a good surprise, right? So... There are such things as bad surprises too, right? I was watching a video on YouTube of this boy and his 16th birthday party where his parents bring him out into the driveway blindfolded and they said, we have a gift for you. Do you know what it is? And he's like, oh no, I, I don't know. What do you think it is? Oh, I, is it a car? And they're like, no, but you're close. Is it a truck? Yes, it's a truck. And they're like, you're close. And so uh, they take the blindfold off. And sure enough, there is a truck in the driveway, but it is not a new truck. It is a really old and beat up pickup truck. And his face, I mean, he just turns white and he just can't believe this. And he's like, how could you? How could you embarrass me like this in front of my friends? And they're like, no, no, it's, this is good for you. You're 16. You can just drive this truck around. You don't have to worry about it, getting in a wreck and it'll, it'll be safe for you. And he's like, no, I can't believe this. So he goes into the garage, comes out with a baseball bat. And his dad is like, don't you touch that truck. I paid $200 for that truck. Don't you touch it. <laughs> and he starts wailing on this pickup truck with a baseball bat. Because I can't believe you guys surprised me like this. My friends are here. Now I'm embarrassed. So there are some bad surprises. We got to all look at that and go, what a spoiled brat, you know? So like, if you ever want to give me a truck, uh, I like that surprise. Just, just go ahead. It does, it's not gonna, I'm not going to hit it with a bat. I promise. But I think for a lot of us, we've had these bad surprises. We've had these moments where we didn't, we didn't see it coming. And that's the part where we kind of wish. I just wish I had seen it coming. I wish I had had a chance to be prepared. Maybe, maybe you got a, a, di- a diagnosis that was a surprise, and, and it was a negative one. And you just thought, I wish I wish I had seen that coming. Maybe you had a relationship that kind of fell apart. It just broke. And, and you don't know how to put it back together, and you're just... You just think, I wish I had seen this coming. I don't, I don't want you to be in that situation. I, I, I want you to be able to be prepared um, for surprises, good and bad. And so today, we're going to talk about, as we wrap up our King Me series, we're going to talk about the return of the King. Do you know that Jesus is coming back? Do you know this? Yes. Are you, are you excited about it? Yes. That's what you're supposed to say. You're in church. Good job. I think, though, I think, though, sometimes... Either we're not really sure that he is coming back, or maybe we are sure and we're just actually not that excited about it. So let me clear up a couple things really quick. If you're not sure if he is coming back, let me just start here. He said that he was. He told his disciples in John 14, I am going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. I will come back. So he made this promise. This is the same person that made a promise when he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to crucify me. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Now, he pulled that one off. So do you think we can count on him if he says he's coming back, that he's coming back? Yes, he is coming back. He absolutely is. And so if there's ever been a doubt in your mind, I encourage you to look up the promises of Jesus in Scripture. He's not been wrong yet. He's, he's 100% on all of his promises. And so I'm pretty sure we can count on him that he's coming back. So the next question is, are you excited about it? And I think in our hearts, we want to say yes. But there are times when I go, yeah, but not yet, right? Just not yet. Like, there are some things that I want to I wanna experience, you know? I want to see my boys get married and have kids so I can be a, a grandpa. I think that would be awesome. And I'm like, yeah, Jesus, come on back, just not yet, there's some places I haven't seen in the world and things I haven't done. I want to go to Alaska. I've never been to Alaska. I think it would be awesome. So, yes, Jesus, come back, but not yet. I'm, I'm not quite ready because I think there are some things I want to see and do first. What, what am I saying when I, when I make those comments, even just to myself? I'm saying that I think that there are things on this earth that I could experience that are better than being with Jesus. Does that sound right? That doesn't sound right at all. That, that can't possibly be right. I mean, Jesus, the one who died for me, my Lord and Savior, the God who created me and knows me inside and out and loves me, is there anything on this earth I can experience that would be better than being with Jesus? Not a thing. Not a thing. I want to be like Paul uh, who wrote, I, it, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. If, if it means that I have to die in order to be with Jesus, bring it on. And Paul wasn't suicidal. He was just excited about being with Jesus. He could not wait. I want to be like Paul. I want you to be like Paul. I want you to be so excited for the return of Jesus that you just can't wait for him to come back because you know what it means for you. So we're going to take a look at some, uh, something that Paul wrote uh, to a church in Greece, a town called Thessalonica. So this book is called Thessalonians, this letter that he wrote. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and try to find Thessalonians. Good luck. It's towards the end. It's really small, and it's hard to find sometimes. So I'll give you a minute. If you have an app, it's super easy. Just, just type in 1-T-H, and you're there. You don't even know how, to, you don't know how to spell. You don't have to know how to speak or spell Thessalonians. So Paul wrote this letter to this group of Christians who, they have a lot of questions about, they know that Jesus promised he was coming back, and they want to know when and what are we supposed to do? Like, how do we get ready? How do we roll out the red carpet for Jesus, and uh, what, what are we supposed to do? So Paul spends a lot of time in his two letters to this church answering those questions, and we're going to dive in in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians uh, today. You guys ready? Well, I am, so here we go. Uh, let's start with verses 1 through 4. Now, concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So, this uh, analogy of the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, coming like a thief in the night. Paul is not the first one to use this. Jesus actually uses that analogy as well, and so does Peter in his writings. Why this thief-in-the-night analogy? Because I think we think of that as a pretty bad thing. That's a negative thing. If someone breaks into my house, this is not good. And so we hear that, and we say, okay, the return of Jesus is gonna be like a thief-in-the-night, and I'm supposed to look forward to this? Why? Well, I, I don't think the intent is for us to interpret this negatively. I think what Paul is talking about is being prepared, being prepared. In, in the day and age that Paul is writing, uh, they don't have alarm systems or security cameras outside their homes. They don't have complicated locks on the doors. There's almost nothing they can do to prevent a thief from coming into their house. Almost nothing they can do. All they can do is be prepared for it to happen. So how would you be prepared for a thief to come into your home? Well, you would make sure that the people that you love are safe, right? Right? Priority number one, I want to make sure the people I love are safe. And so maybe if, if I live in a one-room house in the first century or uh, there's only one entry, I may, maybe I'm going to sleep by the door. So if somebody comes in, I'm there to, to try to slow this person down or protect my family in some way. I, that's how I can be prepared. Or maybe I, if I have valuables, I want to make sure my valuables are hidden and safe. And so what they would do is they would they would dig holes in the ground uh, in their in their yard or out in a field somewhere, they would dig a hole and they would bury their valuables. If they had money or jewels or, you know, grandma's quilt or whatever, they're, they're burying it in the ground because thieves can't find that stuff. They can't just walk in and find it. They didn't have a safe or anything, so they buried stuff in the ground. So they knew how to prepare for the eventuality of a thief coming into their home. Protect my loved ones, hide my valuables, right? So in in that sense, are you prepared for the return of Jesus? You don't know when he's coming, because thieves don't send you like a text message, hey, it's two o'clock this morning good? Is that, is that a good time for you? Because I was thinking about stopping by. They don't do that. So uh, Jesus doesn't do that either. Are you prepared? So the first question is, are, are your loved ones safe? Do they know, do the people that you love, do they know who Jesus is and what he's done for them? Maybe question number one is, do you, do you know? Do you know who Jesus is and what he's done for you? And do you trust him? Because of what he's done for you, do you trust him with your whole life? That's how you get prepared. And then you want to make sure that everybody that you you love knows this truth. And for a lot of us, this is why we're a little hesitant for Jesus to come back. Because we're thinking of people that we love. And we're thinking, I I, I pray this all the time, Jesus... I'm excited for you to come back but if you would wait until my brother comes around really appreciate that because I want my brother to be ready and right now he's not and so maybe that's a part of the reason why you have some hesitation and fear and so all we're supposed to do is be prepared because when you're prepared you're less afraid if there's been any fear in your heart about the return of Jesus and if he showed up today would I be happy or would I be terrified then maybe you need to be prepared. You need to make sure that you have trusted Jesus enough that you gave him your whole life and that you have made sure that the people that you love know. They know who he is and what he's done because they've heard you tell the story. So the more prepared we are, the less afraid we are. And the idea here is that we're not gonna have to be afraid uh, about what we might lose. We get to be excited about what we're going to gain. We, we don't need to be afraid about what we might lose if Jesus showed up today. We we get to be excited about what we would gain. Are you excited? If not, maybe you're not quite prepared and you need to back up and ask, have I have I really believed in and trusted Jesus with my whole life and have I made sure that the people that I love know who he is and what he's done for them? Because he is coming back. Okay, Paul continues after he talks about being prepared uh, He continues in verse 5. So let's pick up there. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So then Paul goes on to talk about being awake. Make sure that you're awake. And I I don't think he means physically awake. That you you are not allowed to sleep until Jesus comes back. Some of you your your lives are kind of you're like I hope I get a chance to sleep, but that's not the expectation. He's talking about being spiritually awake. But there's a similarity here. That's why he uses this analogy. When you're when you're asleep physically. Do you, are you thinking about the fact that you're asleep? You're like, oh, it's so great to be asleep right now. No, no, because you're, you're unconscious. That's what sleep means. We, we have a sleepwalker in our home. Our youngest son is a sleepwalker. And uh, it is hilarious and terrifying when this happens because he's wandering around the house and his eyes are open and he can look at you and you can ask him questions. And his answers make no sense whatsoever, but he can answer you like it, he's, he's, he's sort of functioning. Uh, but he's not totally safe. We have to lock our doors. We have to put really high uh, locks on our doors so that he can't, because he'll just go outside. We found him one night in the backseat of the car, buckled up, ready for something. We didn't, he's just ready to go. He didn't know where he's going. He's just ready to get there. And so uh, we we just make sure, like I'm a really light sleeper. So if I hear something at night, I get up and, and sometimes I find him just wandering around looking for the bathroom. And I'm like, not here, buddy, not not here. Because uh, when you're asleep, you really shouldn't be trusted with important decisions, okay? Like, what, where am I going to go to the restroom and should I use uh, the kitchen knives right now? And those kind of things, we don't let you do those things while you're asleep. But I think there are so many people who are spiritually asleep and yet they're, they're making big decisions and they're, they're dealing with, with relationships and with jobs and with things where, where they, they can do a lot of damage to themselves and to others. It's not a good idea to do those things when you're asleep. And so he says, you need to be awake. How do you know if you're spiritually asleep or not? It's hard to tell. It's hard to self-diagnose when you're asleep. So here are some questions, but you need people in your life who can help you with this. So let me just give you some questions. Because being spiritually awake means that I am aware of the presence of God in my life. I'm I'm aware that his spirit is in me and is communicating with me and leading me into things. So that awareness of the Holy Spirit in my life, that's a sign of spiritually awake. So here's some questions to self-diagnose maybe. If you can't recall the last time that you were led or prompted to, into a selfless act of love, an act of sacrificial love for someone else. If you can't remember the last time, some, some, some opportunity came your way and you felt like God was saying, you should do that. Yeah, I know it's gonna cost you and it, you don't, you're not gonna get anything out of it, but you should do that. If you can't remember the last time that happened, uh, you might be taking a spiritual nap If you can't recall the last time that you were led or prompted to pray for a lost friend or to share your faith, you you might be spiritually asleep. If you can't recall the last time that you were led or prompted to confess a sin or repent from a sin, do you think that you've sinned recently? I have. If, If you can't remember the last time you were led to confess that sin or repent from that sin, you might be spiritually asleep. If you can't recall the last time you spoke the name of Jesus in a respectful manner, not out of anger but because of love and honor if Jesus, if his name hasn't passed your lips in a while, maybe you're spiritually asleep and it's time to wake up because if we're going to be prepared, part of this is making the most of every day, making each day count. We need to be awake in order for that to happen. Um, Our friend Amanda Robinson was sharing a story with me uh, a couple weeks ago, that she started a new job, and uh, it was, you, you know, that feeling of you don't know people and you don't know how things work, and she's trying to figure out how to navigate that, and she felt like God was uh, leading her to write thank you letters, notes, to all the people that she works with, all her new coworkers. And so she did that, kind of a bold move for somebody in a new work environment, and she did that, and one of the guys that received one of these notes uh, responded back to her and said, said thanks a lot, and, and by the way, I'm, uh, I'm kind of in a tight spot, I don't have a way to get to work for a while and she said well I can help you with that so she's providing transportation for this guy to work and that gives her an opportunity to share with him what God is doing in her life so just this simple act of obedience hey you should write thank you notes and she did it has led to a chance to share her faith with a coworker. that's spiritually awake that's what spiritually awake looks like is, is that I am aware that the spirit is trying to work through me all the time so are you awake I hope so in order to really make each day count, we need to make sure that we stay awake. Okay, the, Paul's going to wrap up here with just this one verse. That This is going to be your memory verse for the day, verse 11. And uh, this is where he's going to get really practical and say, yes, you need to be prepared, like, check, got it. You need to stay awake, got it. Don't really know what those things mean. Those are kind of like churchy kind of phrases, but I'll be prepared, I'll stay awake, Okay. Now he's going to get really practical, so you can't walk away from this conversation going, well, I don't I really know what to do. He's going to give us something to do. So he says, therefore, since Jesus is coming back and you need to be prepared and you need to be awake, therefore, make sure that you're just a good person, that you don't do anything bad, you don't have any bad thoughts, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't you know, say any bad words, you don't see any bad movies. Just make sure that you're really good. That's how you'd be prepared for Jesus to come back. Is that what he said? No. It's interesting that what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, make sure that the people around you aren't doing anything bad. Like, you, you need to be kind of moral police. You need to be watching what people are doing. And if somebody steps out of line, you need to be there and say, no, 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 we don't do that. Is that what he says? No. Let's read together, uh, out loud, in English, what Paul actually says. You ready? Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. If you want to be ready, wide awake, and excited for the return of Jesus, these are your instructions. Encourage one another and build one another up. Encourage is about lending courage to other people. Like you're going to lend them some of your courage. And building up is about building confidence in other people. A person who's courageous and confident is ready for anything. You're ready for whatever comes your way. And if that means it's Jesus coming back tomorrow, you're ready because you're courageous and confident. And that's what Paul wants. And that's what I want. That's what God wants for you, to be courageous and confident. But notice he doesn't say, you go and be courageous and confident. What does he say? You encourage and build up each other. You make other people courageous and confident. That's how this whole thing is supposed to work. That's why God set it up this way, that we don't, just, we don't just experience him at home alone on Sunday mornings. We gather together for this reason because the courage and confidence that I need in order to be prepared for Jesus to come back is only gonna happen when I am lending you courage and building up your confidence. Isn't that kind of upside down, but it's, it's like a beautiful system, isn't it? That I get courage and confidence by giving you mine. So let's talk about lending courage. When we lend courage to others, when we encourage, this is for something that is uh, down the road, for something that lies ahead. I think we often think of encouragement as like a compliment. Hey, you did such a great job on that project. We're so proud of you. And uh, man, just you killed it. Great job. We think of that as encouragement. That's not really the biblical sense of encouragement. That's more like a compliment, right? It's still a good thing. You should still do that. But encouragement happens before the fact, saying like, hey, you've got this. I think you're going to do a great job. I believe in you. God has gifted you for this. You're ready. So let me give you an example. If I was going to ask um, ask my buddy Jeff to come and preach next week, Jeff may have some uh, anxiety about that. There may be some fear. This is not something that he does on a regular basis. And so I want to encourage Jeff. So I could go about it this way and say, Jeff, Uh, No need to be nervous. I am never nervous when I come up here. There's no need to be uh, afraid that you're going to say something wrong. I'm never afraid. I've actually never said anything wrong from stage in my life. Uh, Those of you that were here first service know that's not true. Uh, Jeff, I I never worry about somebody taking something I said the wrong way. That's never happened to me. Uh, It'll never happen to you. Is Is that encouraging? Or would it be more encouraging for me to say, Jeff, I'm, I'm pretty much terrified every time I get up here. It's a big responsibility. And uh, it's all I can do not to let you see my knees shaking. I, I'm really concerned all the time that I'm going to say something that doesn't represent God's word accurately. I'm concerned that people are going to take what I say and, and maybe take it out of context or hear it the wrong way and, and use it against me or use it in the wrong way. I think about that all the time. But I'm convinced if I have this opportunity to have influence on people, God can work through me. Even as messed up and broken and, and, and stupid as I sometimes can be, God can still use me. And I think he can use you too. Which way is more encouraging? The second way. The second way, is, isn't is it? And you know what that is. That's a vulnerability. So I'm going to give you, this is just one way to lend courage to other people. And it's the hard way because I think that you guys are pretty top shelf people. I think you can handle this. This is the hard way. If you really want to lend courage to someone else, be vulnerable. Let them, let them see the real you. Let, let, them, let them get a glimpse into your heart and to know what kind of person you really are. Because even though that feels like weakness to me, it looks like courage to you. You see that? It feels like weakness for me to tell you how, how nervous I get and how afraid sometimes I am that I'm going to say the wrong thing. That feels like weakness. But to you, you hear that and you go, well, that's kind of that's brave to say that. It doesn't feel that way when I say it, but it looks that way to you. When we're vulnerable and we let people see inside, see the real us, it lends them courage to own who they are, to know their identity in Christ, and to be who God called them to be. Lend courage because courageous people are ready and wide awake. The second thing he says is to build one another up. and I think he's talking about building confidence that we build confidence into our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a lot of obstacles to confidence in the world that we live in today. We're, we're in such a comparison culture that it is really difficult to walk out the door every morning and feel confident in who you are. Because it, it doesn't matter how great your day is or how, uh, how healthy you feel or how, what a kind person you feel like today or how wealthy you are. Or you can always find somebody who's healthier, kinder, wealthier, happier than you. It's not hard. 30 seconds on Facebook will do it, right? We're in such a comparison culture that it's hard to really live with confidence. And so what Paul has called us to do is to build confidence into each other. And I'm gonna give you one way to do that, and it's the hard way. Because again, I think pretty highly of you people. I think you got this. In order to build confidence into other people, one way that you can do that is to entrust them with something important. When you entrust someone with something that is important to you, you're building confidence into them. You're saying to them with your actions, I think you got this. I trust you. This is something really important to me, and I'm giving it to you, and I believe in you. There are a lot of different ways to do that. If you're a parent, this is daily life, isn't it? Building confidence into your kids by entrusting them with things that are important to you. Turning over the car keys. And the way that we do that, we all have to do it at some point, but the way that we do that matters. I can do it by saying, well, you're probably going to go out and have a wreck today because you're a terrible driver. I just pray that you don't hit some other person, right? Or I can say, you know what? You've worked hard at this. You've studied. You've listened to me uh, scream from the passenger seat for a while. I think you got it. I think you got this. You're going to do great. Uh, I have a friend who's trying to lose some weight, and uh, he's set some goals, and uh, so his incentive for the way that he wants to lose weight, the thing that he thinks is going to motivate him, is he gave me a bunch of his money. Wait for it. It's coming. He gave me a whole bunch of his money, more money than I thought he actually had, okay? <laughs> and he said, uh, when I hit markers, when I hit my goals uh, on my weight loss, you're going to give me some of that money back until I hit my goal and then I have all my money back. Oh, that's kind of brilliant. If money is a motivating factor for you, that's, that's pretty genius but he entrusted me with, with a pretty decent sum of money. Like my family, we could enjoy a, a vacation if we really wanted to, but he trusted me with this. And what that said was, I mean, we're, our, our friendship is pretty strong, that he, he would entrust this money to me and really believe that when he asks for it back, it's going to be there. <laughs> I'm going to give it back to him. I'm pretty sure I can outrun him. So uh, that this is what I'm talking about, is that we... We, we can build confidence into other people by entrusting them with things that are important. And so if money's important, maybe you, maybe you, you hand off some money. If, if relationships are important, maybe you invest in relationships. Whatever it is that's important to you, when you entrust it to someone else in your life, you're building confidence in them because confident people are prepared and they're wide awake and they're ready for Jesus to return. This is Paul's message. I want you to be ready. Jesus is coming back. And I want you, you don't know when, but I want you to be ready. I want you to live wide awake until then, making the most of every opportunity. And here's how you do this. Lend courage and build confidence into the people around you. Because when you lend courage and build confidence, what's going to happen to you? You're going to gain courage and gain confidence. And courageous and confident people are ready for anything. Even the return of Jesus. Have you had some bad surprises? Some things that you said, "I just, I wish I had seen it coming. I wish I had been more prepared." I want you to be prepared, and I think being courageous and confident is how you're going to be prepared. And the way that you do that is by investing in the people around you. Lend courage and build confidence. The more you give away, the more you get in return. I I know that uh, for many of us, we think, "I don't, I don't have." time. I don't know how this is going to fit into my schedule and, I'm, and you're asking me to do stuff and I don't know how I'm going to fit it in. I'm uh, not going to be able to address that today, but next week I just want you to know we're going to start a series about busyness and being tired and those kind of things that I think was going to be helpful and encouraging to a lot of us. If you feel like you have a busy schedule or if you're tired a lot, make sure you're here the next couple weeks because uh, we're going to address that directly from, from the words of Jesus, Okay. Here's, here's why this is so important. There are people all around you. There might be people in this room, but there are absolutely people outside this room who are not ready for Jesus to come back. They're not prepared. They don't know him. Maybe no one's told them. Maybe, maybe somebody told them and they just didn't believe it, but what, for whatever reason, they're not ready. And it's, it's up to us to help other people be ready for Jesus to return. If, if, if you're in that boat today, I want you to know that there's a chance for you today Trust Jesus so much that you give him your whole life. And you can take that step today. The first step that we take here is baptism. And we would love for you to make that choice today to be baptized into Christ and to know that you're ready. And then, and then begin to share that with other people so that the people that you know and love are ready too. But if you're, if you're already a believer and if you're following Jesus every day, I want you to be thinking about as we close here, how can I lend courage by being vulnerable For someone else today how can i build confidence by entrusting someone with something important to me today let's pray about that god thank you so much for the chance to hear from your word this morning and to be challenged by it i thank you for the encouragement and the reminder that jesus hasn't forgotten about us he's coming back to get us and ultimately everyone who's put their trust in him we're gonna we're gonna get to experience life with jesus forever god i can't wait my prayer is, Father, that you would help us to be prepared, to stay wide awake, and to encourage each other as we go through this life. God, my prayer is if there are any people here in this room who need to take a step today to be prepared by putting Jesus at the center of their world, that they would, they would have the courage and confidence to do that. And God, for, for those who are already followers, God, I pray that you would mobilize us just to be bringers of courage and confidence to every relationship that we have so that when you come back, you find us faithful, you find us ready and wide awake. In Christ's name, amen. This morning, we have a chance to celebrate the death of Jesus, the moment where he willingly went to a cross to have his body broken and his blood poured out. This wasn't a random death. It was absolutely on purpose. Jesus died the way he died, so that we would have this opportunity to remember him in this specific way, his body and his blood. So this morning, as we acknowledge that without Christ, I have no hope, without Christ, I have no peace, without Christ, I have no joy, without Christ, I have no freedom, but because Jesus died for me, I have all of those things and as much as I need. So this is our chance to say thank you. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to, confess some sin and get, get things straight between you and God. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to remember somebody that, that you know that doesn't know Christ and to, to pray for them. However you use this time, I, I pray that we honor God with, with the way that we remember Christ in this moment. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for the sacrifice of Jesus, his broken body and his blood poured out. And I pray that we'll just live lives of gratitude for, for what you've done for us. And that you'll be honored with the way we think about Jesus in this moment. In Christ's name, amen.